Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Favorite Show, the podcast where we talk about our favorite things. Every week, we'll pick a different topic to discuss, and since best can be subjective, we talk about the things that are our favorites. My name's Aaron. Sean here. And I'm Shannon. Yay, Shannon's back. Hooray. Welcome back. Woohoo! It was so fun having Alex join, but we're always glad to have you back. Oh, thank you. Well, we didn't get any emails this last week, but I do have a couple of updates. One, I want to I want to make a quick update in reference to our animated series episode. Back when we had uh, our niece Gracie join us, uh, you may remember she talked about Over the Garden Wall and highly recommended it. And uh, the whole theme of that episode was Gracie saying, Aaron, you need to watch these shows. <laughs> so I just it just got lost in all of my watch lists, and I hadn't watched it yet. I, we also mentioned in that episode that we had had a Steven Universe movie uh, watch party where we made a bunch of food from the movie or from the show and uh, watched the Steven Universe movie. So Gracie had, had given us the heads up as like, hey, were you guys, uh, you guys busy like the evening of Saturday the 24th? I think it was the day it was. It was this, this last weekend. And we were like, nope, we're, I don't think we have anything else going on. She's like, okay, don't make any plans. And then, like, the day before, we got this beautiful, ornately drawn, all drawn by her, by the way, invitation to a party uh, with specific uh, dress instructions of, like, uh, the style to dress up as. And we were going to have dinner and a watch party of Over the over the Garden Wall. So we did. And it was super cool. Uh, between Gracie and uh, and Teresa, they made a bunch of food from the, from the show. And then we watched the entire series. I don't think I realized. Gracie probably said it, and I just had forgotten, but I didn't realize the series is only 10 episodes and each episode is only like 10 or 11 minutes long. So we watched the whole thing like start to finish. It was amazing. That sounds so fun. Gracie, if you're listening, I should have listened to you sooner and watched that show sooner (laughs) because it was, it was great, but that was such a fun party and it was so cool. So thank you again. But yeah, I just want to revisit that one over the garden wall. Super good, super short watch. You should go watch it. Yeah, I saw a little bit of video from that party, and it looked awesome. Everybody, how they were dressed up, and just looked like a good time. We had fun. It was really cool. Uh, and then I guess we probably also, uh, me and you, Sean, both ought to uh, have a little update regarding uh, our dinosaurs episode. <laughs> I think we both had a couple of little inaccuracies in there. Yeah, it turns out I don't know how to talk. <laughs> no, it wasn't just or you. Or at least pronounce things. <laughs> it, it They're wasn't hard you. words. They're very hard words. <laughs> it wasn't just you. Our dear sister Kristen acted as fact checker for us and uh, sent us a little little message on Marco Polo, and she had she had some stuff to say. All right, listening to this week's episode of The Favorite Show is making me question how I've pronounced a lot of words <laughs> my whole life. All right, first off, someone said Diplodocus. Is that Diplodocus? Like, that's how I've always said it. Is that completely wrong? Is it a diplodocus? Um, and then Alex was talking about the cassowary. I thought it was cassowary. I just, everything I know is a lie. <laughs> and so then we had a, we had another uh, interjection uh, from uh, someone who wasn't with us last week, Shannon. I haven't listened to the episode yet. But Christian, <laughs> you made me think the same things that, I don't know if you hear it. Diplodocus. I think it is a diplodocus because I was like, wait, that's how I always said it. Cassowary. Cassowary? Cassowary. I don't know. But I also <laughs> always called it an ankylos- or an ankylosaurus, not an ankylosaurus. Hard words, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I apologize for my, uh, my tone. I was at work on my lunch break. And so I had my computer in front of me. I was like, hold on. Let me look how to pronounce those words. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, thank you for fact checking. They're all hard words. <laughs> So it's okay. <laughs> I thought I knew how to sound things out. 
Yeah, but listen, I, we already talked about how I called them ankylosauruses all all this time. It's not even spelled that way. The, See, and, well, the that was me too. Up, I was like, oh wait, I'm I'm just dumb. Well, and I'm wondering as a kid if like we all saw it that way because I. I don't remember learning about that dinosaur, but I always thought it was just an Ankylosaurus. But you're right. If you really look at it, that's not how it sounds. But other words, like I already forgot now, it's not a cassowary, whatever it is. It's just where the emphasis is. And that's hard. And like, that's a thing on like a lot of TikToks I'm on where it's people learning different languages. Where you have the emphasis in a word is really hard. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, I think that covers all of our updates and apologies, apparently, for for the week. (laughs) (laughs) So unless you guys have anything else, we can jump in. Anything else? Nope. No, I'm good. All right. Let's get to this week's topic, which is our favorite poets. Uh, This is an interesting topic. We we have that listed under our other media (laughs) topic list. So because I wasn't sure where else to put it. But anyway, yeah, favorite poets. And uh, I have to admit, there were like two people who came to mind when we thought of this. And I was like, oh, I better do, do some more looking. And so... Some of it, for me, more came down to favorite poems and then backtracked from there to poets. But uh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll see what all we've got. I'm also curious. There's probably like one person that we're all going to want to talk about. So yes, that's true. <laughs> we'll see who, how soon. Shannon, you're kicking us off if you're starting well, with the well, one guy. I know guy Shannon I was going to go first. I actually wanted to ask about one who's not necessarily a favorite of mine, but one that I recently found out about, which, who is Edmund Spencer. Have either of you heard of him? Uh-uh. Mm-mm. He wrote a poem back in 1590 about a lady bathing in, with flowers. Huh. And that that same poem was then used later, about 200 years later, and put into an English collection of nursery rhymes, What was which was... Likely known um, by the author of Les Miserables, which was added to, to Les Mis, which was then translated to English, which starts off as Roses Are Red. And apparently that poem has been has been with us for, uh, what is that, over 500 years? Not wow. over 500 years, almost 500 years. That's crazy. That's, yeah, that's wild. I would have assumed that was like a Hallmark original, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Greeting right. card companies had to have come up with that one, but no. Yep, so, so the lady bathing with the flowers, yeah. You know, I think it was... Uh, it started off, she'd bathed with roses red and violets blue and all the sweetest flowers that in the forest grew. Oh. So it has evolved some. I'm actually curious because there are so many different versions of it. Does anybody know what the mo- the modern standard version of the poem, how it actually goes? No. Roses are red, violets are blue, something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sugar is sweet and so are you. Oh, that's nice. I just know I had a t-shirt for a long time that said, roses are green, violets are yellow, also I'm colorblind. (laughs) (laughs) Which is accurate. I am colorblind. (laughs) So anyway, just I I thought that was fascinating. And since I don't have a ton of poets to talk through, I thought I'd hijack things for a second. But go ahead, Shannon. Nice. That's great. I love it. (laughs) No, that is great. Well, so the very first poet that came to mind for me um, is someone by the name of Mary Ann Hoberman, who does a lot of children's writing. And her work is amazing. And it's not like if you read through her poetry, it's not anything deep and thought-provoking and world-changing or anything like that. But her style of writing, my favorite books that she's ever written, is a series called You Read to Me, I'll Read to You. And what's really cool about it is the way they're written. So there's a part in the middle that's one color, 
And then there's a section on the left that's a different color and a section on the right that is a third color. And so the whole intention is that these are short stories that a child can read with someone else. So her just original book, You Read to Me, I'll Read to You, very short stories to read together. On the back just has a little poem. Here's a book with something new. You read to me, I'll read to you. We'll read each page to one another. You'll read one side, I the other. But who will read, now guess this riddle, when the words are in the middle? The answer is easy, plain as pie. We'll read together, you and I. And they're all just really little and short. And they are such a great tool to use in a classroom, especially for a student who is maybe more of a shy reader, because they get kind of silly as they go on. And they have to kind of be reading with somebody and also following along while the other person's reading. And so I love them just as an educational tool. But her whole series are really fun because there's just the really short stories one. She also wrote one that's fables. She wrote one that's Mother Goose. She wrote one that's like scary stories and one that's fairy tales. And she's written other books, but um, those ones are my most favorites. That's super cool. What a cool idea. Right? And uh, doing... Some research on Marianne Hoberman on good old Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Yay. I, I learned that she was, well, on her official website is where I found it at first, that she was named the U.S. Children's Poet Laureate. And that was a term I realized I didn't entirely know what it meant. I don't know if either of you guys do. I've, I've heard it used, but I don't know all the details what it entails see that was exactly where i was and so doing some digging into that so she had announced that she was named it in 2008 and she's like this is a position i will take very seriously and i'm appointed to this for two years and i was like oh so it's more than just like gold star you're a good poet um (laughs) it's a position that's awarded by the poetry foundation in the united states and that person's job for their two years that they are assigned is to promote children's poetry across the United States. So she did a lot of book readings and um, campus visits and whatever to really promote promote poetry, which is widely kind of the least favorite amongst kids in literature. That's really cool. So, I never knew that. Yeah. Or I never I never knew that's what that word or what that title meant. I just I I thought like you joked about it. I was like the thumbs up, good job, you know? Like <laughs> that's really yeah. awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. And I mean, and just looking at the other um authors who have been on that list, I didn't recognize the other ones, but the very first one who was ever named that poet laureate was Jack Prolutsky, which is another kind of elementary school staple that he writes pretty entertaining poetry that the kids like. One that I remember memorizing when I was in elementary school is Homework, Oh Homework. I don't know if you guys ever... I don't think I'd learned that one. See, now, of course, I don't remember it. I got to pull it back up. Okay, so here's his one that (laughs) I don't think most (laughs) teachers assign to their students anymore. But I remember learning it in like second or third grade. It goes, Homework, Oh Homework. I hate you. You stink. I wish I could wash you away in the sink if only a bomb would explode you to bits. Homework, oh, homework, you're giving me fits. I'd rather take baths with a man-eating shark or wrestle a lion alone in the dark, eat spinach and liver, pet ten porcupines, then tackle the homework my teacher assigns. Homework, oh, homework, you're last on my list. I simply can't see why you even exist. If you just disappeared, it would tickle me pink. Homework, oh, homework, I hate you, you stink. That is an excellent poem. I and, like that one a lot. And a lot of his poetry is kind of similar in fashion, that it's just kind of fun, quirky stuff to get kids 
interested in poetry. Yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, and I don't know if we wanted to go around like we have been or what. Sure, I'd be up for that. Sure, let's do it. Sean, you next or me next? Either way. You go next. All right. Uh, so as I said, I, I approached this. I, I'm going to save my, my two favorites for, for last. But uh, I approached this somewhat from a, a perspective of poems that I love and then worked my way back to the poets. And so I want to talk about Robert Frost. Robert Frost uh, lived from 1874 to 1963. He was an American poet. He uh, is known for his realistic depiction. Oh, this is all coming from Wikipedia. Known for his realistic depictions of rural life and his command of American colloquial speech. Frost frequently wrote about the settings from rural life in New England in the early 20th century, using them to examine complex social and ph- philosophical themes. The thing I love about Robert Frost is I feel like he he has a way of conveying these really poignant, beautiful emotions uh, with with his words and and kind of painting this this picture that is really really special, really tender. My favorite of his poems, uh, I think it's probably also one of his most famous, which is The Road Not Taken. Uh, and and I just, I want to read it because I think it's really great. And uh, I think we're allowed to do that on the podcast, aren't we? I'm not sure what the rules are. Anyway, I'm going to read it. If we get taken down, then I'll be bummed. Anyway, I'm going to read it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference." I think it's such a such a pretty poem, and I think it's yes. really poignant how he, there's so many layers to it. Like on the, on the surface, it's like I think a lot of people think of it like, oh, well, I took I took the road less traveled. I took the 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 different path or whatever. He kind of doesn't say that though. Like he says he says yes, the one maybe looked more grassy, but as for passing, they really had worn about the same. So he kind of just made this choice. And I like that he's kind of torn of like, well, which one should I choose? And like, oh, maybe I'll come back, but I know full well, like, I'm probably not going to be here again. And I feel like it's really nice commentary on like, we make choices in our lives that have an effect on the rest of our life, right? The, the Whatever path we take, even sometimes seemingly small choices, can have huge impacts down the road. Uh, I love, love the line where he says, yet knowing how way leads on to way, right? Like choice leads to choice. And I I feel like it was a poem that I, I read and it kind of made me contemplate my own life of, um, uh, you guys maybe know in my family, but anybody else listening. Uh, so I work at Warner Brothers right now in, in Los Angeles, but I had a couple of different job offers before moving here to California. Uh, I had a job offer to work for ESPN in North Carolina, actually, and I didn't take it. And I had a job offer to work uh, in Disney World, and I didn't take it. And I've often thought back and wondered, like, well, what if I had taken that job or that job? Um, You know, or so many different things. What if I had not changed my major? What if I had done this or that differently? There's so many things where, like, Way leads on to way, right? So anyway, I, th- I just think that's such a poignant poem. And and Robert Frost's works have a way of, of doing that that I just think is so beautiful. And uh, anyway, 
uh, he's, he's one that I remember learning about in school. And I remember taking a creative writing class when I was a, a senior in high school. And we did a lot of poetry in that class. And and I enjoyed writing poetry. I, I would never claim to be a great poet <laughs> by any means, but it was really fun. So, But I remember learning about him and, uh, and uh, yeah, just some some beautiful poetry. Um, his other one, real quick, that I that I really love. He's he's got so many, but this other one I love so much of his. Stopping by the woods on a snowy evening. If you have a chance to read that one, it's so pretty, and it's just mm-hmm. it kind of for me captures this moment of like sometimes sometimes when I'm outside. I'm I'm such a an artsy <laughs> nerdy guy, but sometimes when I'm outside, I just catch myself looking up at the sky, like looking up at the stars or the moon, and just like marveling at it, or like you know looking at such a a pretty sunset or or the mountains or whatever, and just kind of like being in awe of it. And I feel like this poem kind of captures that of like just taking a moment, like you're going somewhere, you've got a lot to do, but you just take this little moment to like admire the scenery or something. So anyway, I'm, I'm getting long, long-winded, but yeah, Robert, Robert Frost has some beautiful poetry that for me clearly is, is emotionally evocative. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, poetry is one of those things that has like slowly grown on me, but it's been a slow grow. <laughs> meaning, meaning I realized early on that, it confused me because of the different meanings and I didn't like having to try to analyze and figure out the different things that they were saying. And over time have realized that it can be something that's more personal or that you can get different things from it. And I also know that poetry is an essential piece of, of music, of, of lyrics, of rap, of, uh, I think even a way of learning and children's books. And so I, as I went through, I started thinking of different children's books. I started thinking about songs and I thought, you know, unfortunately kind of the emphasis on slow, I don't do a great job of listening to the lyrics of songs, but when I dig into them, they're really good. So I, I don't know. So I just, I basically went back to the one, the one poet that I actually was kind of my aha that I started to actually get it where I was like, Oh, that makes sense. And this was probably not until like high school, but I had a teacher who would read a lot of shell Silverstein to us. Oh, I knew one of us was going to talk about him. He's on my list for sure. And it's, it's been interesting. I ended up learning years ago more about his background. I'm, I'm really most familiar with his books that are more focused on children, The Giving Tree, Where the Sidewalk Ends, and A Light in the Attic. But that's actually like a very small portion of what he did during his career. So he was born in 1930, was always into writing, always enjoyed drawing, worked for a school newspaper in high school, and then got drafted into the army and in the army maybe because he had been you know in college at the time and and been been studying english um he was like writing for the stars and stripes which i'm not terribly familiar with but i can imagine I'm like a <laughs> you know a military publication of some kind <laughs> and then he actually ended up drawing for it and um rather than just doing like the print layout and stuff like that and then probably like a lot of artists in different categories as as he struck out on his own after after getting home from the military he actually worked selling hot dogs um at like at baseball games 
but wrote a little bit here and there, got some stuff published actually in a sports magazine, and then um, spent about a decade writing um, and drawing cartoons for Playboy, actually. It's true. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and he went on, he wrote stuff for theater, TV, and film. He played guitar, piano, saxophone, and trombone. He wrote the song... A Boy Named Sue for Johnny Cash. He wrote a verse for a song for the, the band Chicago. He's from he's from Illinois. He's from Chicago himself. Um, he's the recipient of two Grammys, not a nomination for a, uh, a Golden Globe and an Academy Award. And so, anyway, like I knew he had done other stuff, but he's really <laughs> done a ton, had his hand in a lot of different things. I think even a soundtrack at some point where he played played instruments but just just a very full full life anyway i am since you two or at least you aaron have prepared some anything from his career that i that i left out because there's a lot you covered all those big things and it and i i think it's true for me especially and i think for a lot of people we know his his children's books his his kids writing uh and i remember it was in that same poetry class i was talking about the creative writing class that i was doing a report on him and i learned like oh that wasn't like all he did in fact it even says on on wikipedia that he he says he never planned to be a children's writer he actually was kind of talked into it by a friend um and and of course he was super gifted at it he he wrote some incredible things um but yeah he's he wrote a lot of stuff that is there's definitely not for children. In fact, one of my favorite poems of his, a very long one, uh, is called The Perfect High. And I'll just read the first line. There once was a boy named Gimme Some Roy. He was nothing like me or you, because laying back and getting high was all he cared to do. <laughs> there is some there is some strong strong language in it um it's it's and it's really a cool poem actually it's really it's really great with a really great message but uh definitely not the sort of thing you would have heard in elementary school or you know any <laughs> yeah. any amount of public school i'm sure but yeah it's really great it's just funny because i think the you know we hear the term renaissance man of somebody who can really kind of do anything or whatever and and i don't i don't feel like a lot of times it, it really is aptly applied but i think it applies to shell silverstein he he really really like was so multi-talented and so gifted. Um, and he actually, he died fairly young. He died of a heart attack at the age of 68, but he, uh, yeah, he was, he, he did a lot of amazing things and I, I love his writing. So if you, if you're not familiar with the name, you may have heard some of the poems. There's a, there's a poem about, uh, somebody who's complaining that they're sick and every part of their body is hurting. Right. And, and it goes on and on and stretches across two pages. And then it's like, wait, what's that? It's Saturday. Okay. I'm out to play, you know, and <laughs> like, great. you know, of a child who, who doesn't want to go to school or, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, a crocodile who has a dentist who goes crazy, pull on the teeth out and then gets eaten by <laughs> the crocodile. Right. Or just things like that that are so funny. I actually, I went back today cause we have a copy of where the sidewalk ends and I was just reading through. And then and kind of like like I talked about earlier there are different things that call out to you at different points in life and I actually read a poem called Lester. It's kind of a long poem. So I'll just I'll just give a couple little pieces of it, but it's this story about Lester who was given a magic wish by the goblin who lives in the banyan tree. And it goes on about how all he does is he wishes for more wishes and he wishes for more wishes. And in the end, he has like billions of wishes. And then one Thursday night, they found him dead with his wishes piled around him. And they counted the lot and found that not a single one was missing. All shiny and new. Here, take a few and think of Lester as you do. In a world of apples and kisses and shoes, he wasted his wishes on wishing. 
<laughs> and just like this idea of like, oh yeah, I mean, e- e- even though this one was written as part of a collection of children's poems, it's, you know, has this deeper meaning if you think about it and you're like, oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't just, I shouldn't just think of things that I want to do or, <laughs> you know, or different things that's like, someday I'll do this or that and then just never do any of them, right? Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, that's all I have about him. He's it's it's been fun to go back and read some stuff and maybe as an adult yeah. I'll I'll branch out and maybe grab, you know, read some of his other uh literature as well. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely wild cuz yeah, he was one that was an honorable mention cuz I'm like he's he was a staple, you know, growing up for sure. And yeah, he's got the craziest life story for sure. So the other poet that came to mind for this episode is a woman named Rupi Kaur, and she is one I discovered semi-recently, actually. I discovered her at the end of last year and um, asked Alex for all three of her books for for Christmas. (laughs) Nice. Um, But so she is a very young Canadian poet who was born in India and emigrated to Canada at a young age, And she writes about a lot of her experiences. And she is kind of coined as an Insta-poet because she really gained popularity through Instagram, that she would perform her poetry or post herself, like, just, like, little snippets of her poems and things. Because a lot of her poetry is very short. And to the point that she gained so much popularity that, just like on the Wikipedia page, um, they describe that her social media numbers are similar to those of pop music stars, TV and film stars. Wow. Like, she has this huge following. Um, And even, like, going and looking at her website, she does different, like, concerts that she's touring that it's reading her poetry to, like, a symphony playing background music. That's cool. That sounds awesome. Right? Um, And her first uh, book that she wrote, Milk and Honey, has sold over 2.5 million copies in 25 different languages, and was on the New York Times bestselling list for 77 weeks. Holy cow. That's awesome. So, I know. So, it's really cool. Um, There is, like, some controversy around it because it just gained this fast following, and her poetry is so simple that, you know, there's a lot of people that will come out and be like, oh, no, it's just like a copycat poem, which I'm like, it's three lines. I don't know how... (laughs) How that can be copycat when, like, it's such kind of a yeah. simple form of poetry. But um, I don't know. She was named Writer of the Decade from uh, The New Republic, which wow. is an American magazine founded in 1914, it says Wikipedia. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, her poetry, uh, this is the kind of poetry that makes me think very deeply, even when it's very simple. And like I said, I have all three of her books. I think she actually released another one. Yes, she did. She just released another one. But they're all kind of sorted in an interesting way that, you know, the book Homebody was one that she released in 2020. And I think she's still adding things to it from time to time um, online anyway. And it was, you know, about being stuck at home and different things that were happening in the world. She's got some really heavy poems in here about racism or about disease or things like that that were happening in the world. But a lot of her poem is also just so inspiring. So I was going to, I marked a couple of my favorites in this book that I was going to read. 
that, again, are very short. So one of the first ones I marked is a poem titled Full that says, I am not broken because of the depression. I am not a lesser version of myself because of the anxiety. I am a whole, complete, and complicated person. And that's it. It's just really short. I really like that a lot. Yes, they're really short and they're so... Some of them you read and you're like, oh, dang, that's so cool. And other ones you're like, that just makes me feel good. Um, So another one from this book, I get so lost in where I want to go, I forget that the place I'm in is already quite magical. I like that a lot, too. That's awesome. (laughs) I feel like I need a bunch of these on a cross stitch or something. They're they're just really nice. (laughs) (laughs) And like one on this page, it just says, get out of your own way three times in a row. (laughs) That's very good. (laughs) And then the last one I wanted to read from this one, she has a lot of just empowering poetry. This one's one of her longer ones. It says, give me laugh lines and wrinkles. I want proof of the jokes we shared. Engrave the lines into my face like the roots of a tree that grow deeper with each passing year. I want sunspots as souvenirs for the beaches we laid on. I want to look like I was never afraid to let the world take me by the hand and show me what it's made of. I want to leave this place knowing I did something with my body other than trying to make it look perfect. That's very cool. All of her poems, I think, are just really cool. Every once in a while, there is some strong language in them, but it's definitely the kind of thing that it's just, it's nice to sit and read and every once in a while be like, oh, that was really like, makes you think or it it makes you feel inspired and they're really cool. Yeah, I dig it. That's really awesome. Her her name was Rupi Kaur um, or Kaur. I think it's spelled Kaur, spelled K-A-U-R. I will look her up for sure. That's awesome. Well, I, uh, we already talked about Shel Silverstein, so I'm going to get on to my other my other guy I wanted to talk about at length, um, which is J.R.R. Tolkien. But Aaron, he's an author, not a poet. <laughs> well, listen here, dudes. <laughs> I've got my books. You could, I got all my books sitting here with a bunch of bookmarks in them and stuff. Here's the deal. If you've read any of Tolkien's works, uh, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, The Silmarillion, you'll know that there is a lot of song in these books. But of course, he doesn't like have, you know, the notes written out, whatever. They're, they're, they're not always necessarily sung, although some of them are. Some are chanted, some are just shared. So there, are, there is tons of poetry in The Lord of the Rings and in The Hobbit and in The Silmarillion, all of, all of Tolkien's works. He wrote some really great poetry. The thing I love so much about Tolkien's poetry is that it exists in a real world. You know, you think about the poems that we have, there are so many different styles and so many different kinds of poetry and, you know, uh, among different um, ethnic groups or different, even different time periods, um, they have such a different flavor to them, right? Like you read William Shakespeare's poetry, which is so different from Shel Silverstein's poetry, you know, all these, all these different things. Um, even, even the function of poetry, we have, we have, nursery rhymes that help us remember things. Even, you know, to this day, lefty, loosey, righty, tidy, which is not exactly a poem, but it's a rhyme that helps us remember things. And I use that all the time. So settle in. I'm going to read some stuff. Tolkien uses poetry to set the tone in so many of these scenes. In The Hobbit, um, at the very opening of of, of The Hobbit, uh, it, during the unexpected party when the dwarves have crashed at Bilbo's house and um, dinner has gone very, cha- very chaotically and even at that point the dwarves sing a song about how they're going to crack the plates and burn the corks and stuff. Just, just to stress. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. Exactly. They want to mess with them and of course they are very polite and do everything wonderfully but, but Bilbo is very stressed. But then they all sit around the fire and it talks about how it's the you know the light is dim and the firelight in the fireplace and uh 
one by one, the dwarves start pulling out instruments and whatnot, and they start to sing this song. Far over the misty mountains cold, to dungeons deep and caverns old, we must away ere break of day to seek the pale enchanted gold. The dwarves of yore made mighty spells while hammers fell like ringing bells in places deep where dark things sleep in hollow halls beneath the fells. And it goes on and on, and by the time you get done with this beautiful song, I feel like I'm exactly in the same position that Bilbo is. It, it, it finishes up and it says Bilbo was just put in this trance of this, like, imagining these fires leaping up from the from the uh, blacksmith's fires and 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 dragons and swords and gold and all these things and i i feel like every time i read the hobbit i get to that part and i'm just like oh now i'm in now i am totally sucked in that beautiful poem totally totally gets me so then you move on further down in, in the hobbit and when they get to rivendell first let's say the elves of the hobbit are very different from the elves of Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, they're very <laughs> yeah. high and noble. In The Hobbit, they're just like having a great time and like chilling out and talking to trees and stuff. But like they <laughs> they get to they get to Rivendell and the the elves start singing this song and start 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 calling out to them. Of course, you know, Bilbo and the dwarves and everybody, they're all kind of bedraggled and and have been through a lot before they get there. They're looking pretty haggard. And of and of course the 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 elves start singing, "Oh, what are you doing and where are you going? Your ponies need shoeing. The river is flowing. Oh, tra la la lolly here down in the valley. Oh, what are you seeking and where are you making? The faggots are reeking, the bannocks are baking. Oh, tra la la lolly, the valley is jolly. Ha ha." And, and and goes on for a while. These like Elves are like making fun of them and like poking, poking fun and just having a, they have no, no care in the world there in Rivendell, right? And then, of course, later after they get captured by the goblins in the mountain pass, there's this really awesome chant that the goblins are chanting. And again, the, the elves, you have this, you can hear the, like this carefreeness in their, in their, in their, in their song, this tra la la lolly, everything's all nice and happy. And the goblins have a very distinct harshness to them as they're chasing them down their tunnels deep in the mountain with whips. They say, clap, snap, the black crack, grip, grab, pinch, nab, and down, down to goblin town you go, my lad. Clash, crash, crush, smash, hammer and tongs, knocker and gongs, pound, pound, far underground, ho, ho, my lad. Right, he uses this really, like, harsh angry language that clearly the goblin song is not going to be the same as the elf song, right? Like there's, there's, he paints these pictures in the story that he could have just said, and these goblins were big and mean and had whips, right? But he, he, he uses these poems. He uses this, these songs as a way to really set up and, and paint this picture and really create this world. I think it's really incredible. Yeah. It does paint such a vivid picture. And it's also, I'm really glad. I know we talked some about, movies um but i'm glad some of those i you know i don't remember how well i'm sure there are dozens if not more that weren't included but i'm glad that some of them did make it in and and i kind of helped continue to paint that picture because they are so vivid yeah for sure and when you get into the lord of the rings i I won't go on for too long those are my ones from the hobbit i've got a few from the fellowship of the ring and then (laughs) i will promise i'll settle down um (laughs) you're good but the these these rhymes and these poems also like like i said they kind of serve a purpose of how to remember things, right? Telling stories and and remembering ancient lore in the Lord of the Rings. Obviously, the most famous of all the poems is the one that's about the ring, right? Three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them. 
One ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. Right? It's this it's this ancient lore that has been preserved. And actually Gandalf, right? Gandalf is like the most wise dude in all of the Lord of the Rings, right? Pro- probably anyway. And he does this several times. You know, there's later on when he's riding to Minas Tirith with Pippin, Pippin kind of wakes up in the middle of this ride and hears Gandalf chan- chanting this. Tall ships and tall kings, three times three. What brought they from the foundering land over the flowing sea? Seven stars and seven stones and one white tree. And Pippin even says, like, oh, what's that? And Gandalf's like, well, I'm trying, I'm just remembering all the details. So I so I I remember the Lord. I remember all the stuff I need to know before I go talk to this uh basically king, right? He he was steward, but still. Um even Gandalf the Wise is using these rhymes and these poems to remember the details, to remember these stories, to have have all this passed down. Anyway, I could go on a long time, but I just want to read my my favorite one of all, which is a shortish one, and of course is the song that Bilbo sings uh, at several times during the during the the tale. The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone, and I must follow if I can, pursuing it with eager feet until it joins some larger way where many paths and errands meet. And whither then, I cannot say. I love it. It's so good. Mm-hmm. That's all. I'll, I'll stop. No, <laughs> keep, that's great. I can, go, I can keep going for so long, you guys. Every time you great. talk about The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, I'm like, man, I need to go back and read those. <laughs> Me too. As you're saying all this, I'm like, okay, yep, my next book's going to be The Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eileen is reading it right now, actually, for school. She's reading The Hobbit. And for I'm school? Like, that's yes, awesome. Yes, I need to, I need to like, get in on this book club with Eileen. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no, sorry. One more. One more. This is my other favorite from, from oh, Lord please. of the Rings. Uh, this is actually, again, uh, an ancient, uh, not a prophecy, but like a, a, an ancient lore that has been passed down about Aragorn, who is going to be the new king. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. So good. All right, now I'm done. Now I'm done. <laughs> good stuff. Well, and I don't think it's much of a spoiler, but in a in the Rings of Power series right now, in one of our later episodes, they introduced a song, which I'm thrilled because, yeah, it's a very Tolkien thing to do. And they included the line, not all who wander are lost. And I, I loved like, it hey, so much. That's great. Oh, it was so good. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. No, I'm glad you brought him up because he was one of my honorable mentions for sure. Oh, good. Good, good, good have any more for us, Sean? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, okay. No worries. Well, nope. I think Tolkien's a great one to end on unless you have any others. My own, only other honorable mention was Edgar Allan Poe. I was going to say he's an honorable mention and the only reason I don't necessarily count him as a favorite is because I only really know The Raven. Yes. I need to go read his other stuff. They're all very dark and foreboding and I guess which is perfect as we're coming up on Halloween season, but The Raven is so good. Yeah. And, and I, I will say real quick, the poetry itself I think is so pretty but when you have someone who really knows how to read it that's really awesome and as yeah. i was doing some research for the episode today um i even just looked up some of these poems on youtube and there are some great performances people you know who had maybe even added some music or some sound effects but some really great voices really um beautiful readings of these poems it, it takes them to the next level really brings them to life that much more yeah well and just a quick thing about him, I was reading up about his life. That was another interesting one that as a young man, I think it said 18 years old, he didn't have any money to publish and write his books. So he joined the army where he made $5 a month 
And he used that money to publish his first book and didn't really have very much to make a second. And so he, with the help of his fellow cadets who donated 75 cents each, which then added up, he was able to publish his second book, or maybe it was his third book, titled Poems. What a good title. Wow. Yeah. Right? So I was like, huh, that's kind of cool. He has a, an incredibly sad life, too. He yes. uh, he died under mysterious circumstances around the age of 40. So he he died very young oh, and wow. had, a, had a rough life. But I, I, maybe that contributed to pouring into the, the stuff he wrote. But he boy, he wrote some good stuff. The, yeah. The, the Raven, specifically, is the one I love so much. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I guess uh, I guess that's probably a good spot to wrap it up. This was this was cool. This was, I, I feel like... There were the couple I knew about, but I also feel like I learned a lot doing some doing some research about this. So this was this was a good one for for me, hopefully for anybody else listening as well. Well, it's always good to hear from some of the other other poets that you do have as well. It gives me some some uh, like I said, always wanting to go read The Hobbit, especially, but um, <laughs> but some other other poets uh, and their works to check out. Oh, good. Yeah. I hope I don't get too fired up about it. I feel like every time I talk about Lord of the Rings, I get real passionate. <laughs> like, settle down, Aaron. Settle down. Hey, that's fine. <laughs> well, I guess we'll wrap it up there. But as usual, we want to hear what you think. Send us an email at thefavoriteshow at gmail.com. Look us up on Instagram at thefavoriteshowpodcast. Let us know your favorite poets and your favorite poems. And we would love, uh, especially if you have links to them being read or links to where we can read their works, uh, please send them over. It'd be really cool to see that. Also, let us know if you have suggestions for future topics or guests or whatever. Uh, Kristen sent us a good list of potential topics we could cover for our Halloween uh, October month coming up here, which is good because, as you heard, we weren't sure what we were going to do. So (laughs) (laughs) we got something cool coming next week, though. So stay tuned. But but, Yeah. uh, yeah, we got some stuff coming. So. But yeah, let us know if you have suggestions for topics or guests or whatever. We'd love to hear it. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And we'd love a five-star rating if you like what you hear. Um, And I feel like I'd have something a little extra to try and earn a five-star rating from you guys. A little haiku I wrote for the occasion. Yay! It would mean so much to Shannon, Sean, and Aaron if you gave five stars. I love it. So good. It. I'm going to give five stars right now. <laughs> I always make those up on the spot, except this time I was like, nope, I, I cannot come up with a poem on the spot. I am writing this down ahead of time. That's good. I 10 seconds ago, I was like, oh, crap, we got to end this thing with a poem. So I'm like madly trying to like come up with a limerick or something. <laughs> I started trying to write a sonnet and I was like, nope, that, I've been out of that class for too long. We're going with a haiku. <laughs> oh, good. Nice. Well, I guess that'll wrap it up for this week. Until next time, my name's Aaron. Sean here. And I'm Shannon. Talk to you later. Bye. Cue the music. Yeah, I, I kind of went down the wrong rabbit hole researching this one. I started watching YouTube videos of freestyle rappers. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how do they do that? But, it's impressive. Anyway. It really is. It is pretty incredible. Let's <laughs> see, I've sidetracked things here too. Did Were there any honorable mentions that you wanted to throw out? No, I think we got all mine. I think that's about it. I will say, Mom, if you're listening, if you have any of my Argus magazines with any of my poetry, <laughs> send a copy over. I want to see what I wrote, see how if it, if it holds up after all these years. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.